0: Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, Before I get started, I just want to ask you to pray for me uh, later on this week, uh, into the week, into next week, and I'll be headed out of town on a a missions conference. Well, not a a conference, but a, a cohort. I'll be meeting with a group of other pastors to learn about how to most effectively guide our Global missions efforts here at Trinity. Really excited about that. I'm going to be strategizing and learning and praying all about what steps we could take to be, uh, ooh, pay our electric bill, I guess. That's what we need to worry about. Um, learn about what it takes for us to be a, a sending church. Uh, a church full of disciples who understand that they are, are sent into the valley, into the world to carry the gospel message where it needs to go. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about our relationship with God, what it means to take risks, to, to, to go with God, to serve him how he desires. And so I'm excited to attend this cohort uh, on behalf of, of all of us. So I want to uh, ask you to pray about that. Excited how it's going to impact our church for, for a long time to come. And so I ask you to pray, and specifically want you to pray about the weather. Like if you follow the news, there's bad weather basically everywhere in the country. Uh, and so I'm praying that my trip won't be negatively affected by snow and, and winter conditions and all those things. I'll tell you all about it when I get back. Looking forward to that for sure. Uh, on this day, January 12th, on this day in 1971, there was uh, uh, what we might call a, a seismic shift in our culture. On this day... 1971, I'll let you think for a moment in case you might figure out you know, what I'm talking about. You're probably not going to guess it. But on this day, 1971, the television show All in the Family premiered. All right? And the show went on for nine seasons all about uh, Archie and Edith Bunker, their daughter Gloria, and of course Meathead. And uh, All in the Family captured a, a moment in culture, a, a changing sense of family. And uh, for for the first time, really, the picture of family on television was not all positive. It wasn't like Leave it to Beaver, but it was markedly different. It was a family that was full of problems, totally dysfunctional. And even if you're too young to remember All in the Family, even on Nick at Night, then uh, that same spirit, that same kind of family shows up over and over again. Uh, the Ewing family of Dallas The Simpsons, Family Guy. Uh, It even shows up more recently, Game of Thrones, Empire, Arrested Development, any number of other shows. Ever since this date, 1971, we've become strangely fascinated with dysfunctional families. And I don't know exactly why that is. I don't know why we're fascinated to watch these kinds of families on television. My guess is that we all want some reassurance that our own family is not that bad. Right. I mean we all have a meathead in our family, right? But we want to know that our meathead is not as bad as somebody else's meathead. We want to know it could be worse. That gives us some encouragement, I think. Well today we continue our series, Can You Relate? We're talking about family. The relationship we'll explore this week is how should we relate to our families? And for some of us our family is a source of joy, a source of pride even. Uh, we love our families. Some of us here have multiple generations right in here. So even if we don't love them, we kind of fake it for an hour every Sunday, right? We, ha- we have to, they're all here. But many of us, we, don't. we love our families. But that's not true for all of us. Some of us, we have real challenges with our families, real hurt there. Some of us want to just distance ourselves from our families. For some of us, our families don't draw us closer to God, but just the opposite, Right? So as we talk about relationships, and specifically as we talk about how we should relate to our family, it gets complicated pretty quickly. We're tempted to either spend all our time with our family because they bring us so much joy, or we're tempted to completely divorce ourselves from them. But maybe the best course of action is, is something different, something between isolating ourselves with our family and, and uh, uh, isolating ourselves apart from our family. So this morning we're going to look at what the Bible has to teach us about our relationship with our family. How we can strike a a healthy balance that honors the Lord. And we're going to start by looking at what Jesus teaches about family. And Jesus has a lot of things to say about family. So we're not just going to be in in one place in our Bible. We're going to be all over our Bibles today. I've made sure to put the, the verses we'll talk about on the screens. And I've left room in your sermon notes if you want to write some things down that might be helpful to you. But we're going to flip around quite a bit because we want to get a, a comprehensive view of what Jesus has to teach us about the family. And one starting point actually is from the, the Old Testament. You might not know this, but it's a, uh, an expression, like father, like son. You might not know. That's a biblical idea. In fact, the Bible actually says, like mother, like daughter. Ezekiel 16, you can read that. But but in Jesus' time, in Jesus' culture, this idea was very, very prevalent. A child would very likely take up the family trade or the family business of his father. Uh, that's one of the reasons Jesus himself was a, a carpenter or a craftsman because he learned that trade from his earthly father, Joseph. So Jesus models for us right away one of the big traits of the family at his time in his culture, which is children being obedient to their parents following in the family tradition, following in the footsteps, right? The Gospel of Luke tells us even one story of Jesus as a child. We'll talk about the story in just a moment, but the end of Luke 2 tells us this. Then he, the the young Jesus, he went down with them, with his parents, and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. (coughs) So Jesus models obedience to his parents, following them, that the family unit was a critical piece of the culture in this time. And just as a, a side note, this verse, Luke 2, 52, it's a, uh, Jesus' increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with people. It's a great verse to pray for your own kids, that they would grow in these three areas, right? In fact, our kids' ministry, our, our school age kids' ministry, we call it 252 Kids. This is why. This is because of this verse, Luke two fifty two. Uh, so that's just something of the vision we have here at Trinity. That's just extra right there. But, But Jesus models obedience to his earthly parents. We could say that the family is very important to Jesus, right? But I told you there's a story of Jesus as a young boy. The, the, the one story we get of Jesus as a kid, he's, he's obedient to his parents, but even more so to his heavenly father. Right before this 252 verse is the story. Jesus and his family had gone to Jerusalem celebrating Passover. And as they're returning home, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem without his parents realizing it. They, they presumably traveled in a, in a large group and just lost sight of the fact that he wasn't with them. Well, they realize he's not with them and they head back to try to find him they're looking all over they finally find him in the temple listening to the rabbis and asking them a lot of questions he's he's amazing all the adults with his insight and with his wisdom And his parents finally find him they're upset that he got lost and they pull out the classic we've been looking all over for you right but his response is very telling he says in verse 49 he says why were you searching for me he asked them, didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? See, his response is important because Jesus models obedience to God the Father over obedience to his parents. Even as a child, he makes that choice. So these two things together, they form the, the, the first thing we learn about what Jesus thinks about Family. Later on, Jesus gets to be an adult, he's on his own, he's teaching all around Israel, and he really begins to poke at some of the pieces of the culture. He begins to shine a light on some things. And and last week we talked about the idea of losing our lives for Jesus' sake. Here's a passage from Matthew 10 that sheds a little bit of light on that idea, especially as it relates to family. Uh, Jesus says this, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's pretty easy to do. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. So Jesus has some very strong words here, strong words about why he came, strong words about what a person has to give up in order to follow Jesus. But not only does Jesus call us to give up our own lives, but he also seems to be calling us to give up our families. See, for Jesus, it seems that his desire to form a a faith family, a community of believers, was much more central than to reaffirm or, or reinforce a person's natural family. So just as he had done as a child, he now does it again as an adult even more strongly. He puts obedience to the Heavenly Father above obedience to the earthly family. So not only does a person have to die to themselves, but it seems we also need to die to the expectations of our own family. And this is not the only moment where Jesus' teaching seems to be opposed to families. Let's keep exploring. There's a couple other moments when Jesus teaches us about family. The next one I want us to explore is when Jesus calls his first disciples. Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his first disciples. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat pulling their, uh, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So see, in both these instances, the disciples leave their families of origin and in fact leave the professions of their father in order to follow Jesus. So Jesus tears right at the heart of like father, like son in favor of following God's will. The disciples leave their natural families in order to follow Jesus. Just a little bit later, Jesus teaches the same principle. In Mark 3, Jesus teaches us this. His his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him. They called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your, your mother, your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in the circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So once again, Jesus puts obedience to God, a connection to the family of God, over a connection to the earthly family. Jesus seems to understand that there's times when a person's allegiance to their family might come in conflict with their allegiance with God and serving God, and in those times, over and over again, Jesus is crystal clear. We have to follow God, even if it comes at great cost. Just like we talked about last week, there's risk in serving God, and for Jesus, those risks are worth taking. And Jesus reinforces this over and over and over. The Gospels are full of examples of people who are not willing to take the risk, not willing to prioritize God. In one instance, there's three people who come to Jesus back to back, three people who are wrestling with this tension of how do they prioritize their lives. Luke 9 records Jesus' response to these three people who are not willing to sacrifice family or earthly comfort in order to follow God. It says this, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another, follow me, Lord. He said, first let me go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus does not mince words, does he? In two of these encounters, Jesus specifically calls out people who are trying to prioritize their family over their relationship with God. People who are not willing to sacrifice and risk for the sake of the gospel, and Jesus tells them very plainly, they're wrong. Their priorities are wrong. Jesus lays it on pretty thick. I mean, like, if you're not at least a little bit uncomfortable at this point, go back and reread some of these passages. Jesus states his position very boldly. One more example I want to share, one more uh, teaching from Jesus about family. Uh, You may know the story of the the rich young ruler. A young man comes to Jesus, wants to know how to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him essentially he needs to, to prioritize his relationship with God above everything. Well, the man walks away defeated. And after that discussion comes this dialogue with the disciples. Peter began to tell Jesus, look, we've left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So the thing to notice here is not only that Jesus once again reaffirms the importance of following God over family, but the thing to notice here is that Jesus also does reaffirm the value of family. It's about time, right? Jesus says even those who have left their family will be given a new family. So family is still important to Jesus. And notice, too, not everyone necessarily has to leave their family. It's possible to stay connected to your family as long as you can do that and maintain your priority with God first. In fact, I think we could even say it's preferable to stay connected to your family if it doesn't alter your priorities. So these are a lot of passages we looked at, a lot of things that Jesus teaches about family. We can summarize them very, very simply. Following God means Jesus first, family second, no conditions. Let me say that again. Jesus first, family second, no conditions. There are no instances in which we can shift our priorities away from this. No conditions, no exceptions. A life of devotion to God means we put him first. And for Jesus, family is still important. We don't deny our family unnecessarily. There are other passages where Jesus emphasizes the importance of families. We can still value our family if we maintain the right perspective and the right order of priorities. Jesus first, family second, no conditions. So that's what Jesus teaches about family. And if we just left things there, that would be pretty rough, right? That would be hard to take. So we need to keep exploring a little bit. We need to understand what this looks like for us. For some of us, we hear this, we, Jesus first, family second, no conditions, and we say, great, my family's a mess. It's easy for me to say, yeah, yeah, I'm um, distance myself from them. For some of us, we come from dysfunctional backgrounds. We want to leave our families behind, frankly. Uh, for some of us, maybe we've even done that literally, moved out, away, moved out here, away from our family of origin, and, and we find some real identity in our church family, our, our friend group. For some of us, leaving those priorities, it's no big deal, Right? But for others, like we said, our our families are important to us. Our families are a key piece of our identity. And yet we've heard what Jesus says, and we've got to find some way to make sense of this. So what does this teaching look like for us? For us... I think we've got to balance Jesus' teaching with some other things that the New Testament has to say. For Jesus, family is still important, even though he places our relationship with God first. So for those of us who might want to distance ourselves from our earthly families, we need to realize that, that the obligations we have, they're, they're still important to God. In fact, Paul summarizes our obligation very clearly. Towards the end of 1 Timothy, Paul says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially his own household, He is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, worse than an unbeliever? Ugh, that's terrible. But these strong words are a very clear sign that as Christians, we're obligated to stay connected to our family, not to neglect them even if we're tempted to forsake that earthly family that gives us grief and drives us crazy, even if we want to trade them in for a church family that loves us, that's always a joy to be with, that's happy to see us, even if we're drawn to that, we have to recognize the tension here. Jesus has so many strong words about putting family in its proper place. And yet, here's Paul. He goes around from town to town establishing churches, helping people put all of Jesus' teaching into practice. And he spends a lot of time talking about family. In fact, he spends a lot of time making sure people don't neglect their families. As Paul led people to faith in Christ, the natural temptation was them to, to, to cling to their new faith and distance himself from unbelieving family members, folks who'd suddenly found this new faith and new value system, and they're instantly at odds with their family. And the natural temptation is people just to gravitate towards their new faith family and pull themselves away from their earthly family. And instead of letting people do that, Instead of letting people put Jesus first at the cost of their family, Paul does almost the the exact opposite. Paul over and over teaches something that we call the the household code. There are are several passages where Paul specifically lays out how Christians should interact with their family, the people of their household, how they should manage their household. Paul spends a lot of time talking to folks uh, not only how to live out their faith, but how to do it in a way that honors and strengthens their family. And these passages, this household code, it shows up in in a few different places. It's a a critical bit of information for us as we understand what it means for us to relate to our family with the right priorities. One of these household code passages uh, might be familiar to you. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5. We're not going to read the whole passage because there's just so many different things to talk about. But uh, but Ephesians 5, it starts with this. Verse 15 starts, uh, pay careful attention then to how you live. Paul begins this section specifically telling us he's he's giving us instructions for how to live. And the entire section that follows tells us how to live, but especially in regard to our relationships. For Paul, living out our faith in Jesus means living in relationships. And most importantly, the relationships of our own household. He goes on to give instructions for wives, verse 22, for husbands, verse 25. He goes on to talk about children, how children should relate to their families. I know we've got some students in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry, who they don't come here with their parents. Their parents aren't attenders here. But Paul tells even those young people how to live out their faith while still honoring their family. So so we don't shun our family, we don't abandon them, we have to honor them. And in fact, Paul gives us a very strong connection between how we honor our families, how we relate to our families, and how we relate to his church, how we serve God. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul's laying out the qualifications for elders, the spiritual leaders of the church. They have a very high standard. They have to have their priorities right, or else the whole church is doomed, right? But notice, right in the midst of this qualifications, comes this, verse 4. He, an elder, must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Managing the household is a critical qualification for someone who wants to manage God's church, his household. A person can't deny or disengage from their family if they want to serve God's family here, the church. One more passage I want us to consider in this section. I know we're all over the Bible today, but that's how we get a comprehensive view of God's direction for our family, this important set of relationships that we have And as we understand our relationship to our family, I want to look at one more passage that helps us understand how we navigate God's uh, uh, dedication to God's family and dedication to our own earthly family. 1 Peter 3. Peter gives instruction specifically for Christian wives who are married to non-Christian husbands. I know that specific scenario applies to some folks here in our own family, some, uh, some folks who attend without their spouse. And when a person comes to faith, it's not automatic that their spouse is automatically going to make that decision. But, but Peter's advice is not to shun that unbelieving family member, not to distance ourselves from them, not to seek a divorce, anything like that. No, no, no. Instead, he says, we should honor them. Honor those family relationships. This is what Peter says. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. So the idea is that if a Christian wife honors her marriage, honors her husband, then she could lead an unbelieving spouse to faith without even saying a word. It's not preaching that makes the difference in this case. It's the relationship seeing how a Christian family member honors the Lord and honors their earthly relationship. That's what will make non-believing family members take notice. So we put all these passages together, this importance of the household code, code the, the reality that uh, no one can lead God's church family if he doesn't lead his earthly family, and the fact that, that believing family members should go out of their way to honor their earthly families so they can lead others to repentance. We put all these things together and we get the second principle about how we should relate to our families. The first principle relating to our families was from Jesus' teaching. Jesus first, family second, no conditions. As we look at more of the New Testament, we get to nuance that a little bit, understand what it looks like for us, and we could state it this way. We honor our family, and we honor our faith family. That's the second principle for us. We prioritize Jesus, but even in that, we still honor our earthly family. We honor our faith family, but we also honor our earthly family. Both of these things are critical for us. Honoring our earthly family is critical because it helps us lead other family members to faith. And it's also a critical piece to church leadership. Honoring both sets of relationships is very, very important. So, Jesus first, family second, no conditions. But as we live that out, we must honor not only our faith family, not only our fellow believers, but we have to honor our earthly family as well, even those who are not yet believers, or maybe especially those who are not yet believers. Our honoring of those family members brings rich blessings to us and to them. There's one more principle I want to share with you, one more principle we need to understand in terms of our relationship to our family. And for this one, we're going to turn our attention back to Jesus. Not so much the things that Jesus taught, but looking at how he modeled his own family relationships. We looked at some times in Jesus' teaching where he's, he's drawn a line between his earthly family and the disciples. And if that's all we ever got from Jesus, if that's all we understood, we might be led to believe that Jesus really didn't care about his family. We might think that Jesus just went out on his own, left them behind, and never looked back, but that's not the case. I want us to learn one more principle about how we can relate to our families by looking at Jesus' own relationship to his family. And to understand that, let's look at a passage from the end of Jesus' life, to in fact, almost the very end of his life. John 19 records the crucifixion of Jesus, his final hours on earth before his resurrection. And in John 19, we see a a phenomenal act of kindness and compassion on the part of Jesus. As Jesus is on the cross, standing nearby, watching are some of his followers. And amongst those people are his mother, Mary. She's been with him throughout his life, maybe not understanding all that he said and did, but she's been there. And now she's watching her son suffer this agonizing death, and, and she's helpless to do anything about it. And uh, a lot of scholars believe by this time she was a widow. Uh, Joseph, her husband, had died. We don't know that for sure, but since he doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible after Jesus' birth, a lot of folks assume that, that he died sometime before Jesus became an adult. So, so Mary is here. She's, she's grieving the death of her son. And at the same time, she's about to face a new reality. Her oldest son would be the person who would care for her, provide for her, and meet her physical needs. In her culture, she couldn't work, so she's dependent on a husband or another male relative to care for her. And it seems like Jesus is no longer to be able to do that. So we see Jesus make just a phenomenal choice. He's suffering on the cross, and he says this. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her in to his home. So Jesus makes an arrangement for her to be looked after, to be cared for by John, the disciple there. Jesus honors his mother and makes sure that she's going to be provided for after he's gone. That shows a great deal of respect and honor. Jesus connects John and Mary together so they can mutually comfort each other, but more than anything, so that Mary won't be destitute or needy after Jesus is no longer there to care for her. So this indicates that Jesus is not only uh, is he thinking of her even in his last moments of life, but it would seem to indicate that he's been caring for her all this time, right? That if she was indeed a widow, Jesus has not abandoned her. He's provided for her up to this point. He's honored his family. That model from Jesus is something that we can learn from, a willingness to sacrifice for our families, honoring them as a way to honor the Lord. And I want us to notice something else about Mary, the mother of Jesus. The last time she's mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of Acts, chapter 1. After Jesus has died, Mary has apparently gone to the care of John, the disciple. She's with him. And as Jesus is resurrected, he appears to his disciples. Jesus tells them, gather together in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, That Holy Spirit that's going to come to them just as Jesus had promised them already. And the believers are gathered together in prayer. Notice this verse from Acts 1. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Mary is counted among these believers. Jesus' care for her has impacted her life such that she remains a follower of Jesus. His earthly family has become his faith family now. Because Jesus prioritized God and still honored his family, his family has come to embrace him, faith in him. Well, that's a model that all of us can work for, honoring God and our family in such a way that we can lead them to a deeper relationship with God. And we don't know for sure, but there's a lot of tradition around Mary. There's a long-standing tradition that says that she relocated to the city of Ephesus and that the church uh, met at her house there. So in the book of Ephesians, that church had a connection to her. We don't know that for sure, but that's what a lot of scholars believe. So, so Mary's life was changed because Jesus put God first, but still honored his family. And we should mention a couple other members of Jesus' family. They're mentioned in this verse, Acts 1.14, Jesus' brothers. And maybe you're familiar with the book of James towards the end of the New Testament, or the book of Jude, also towards the end of the New Testament. Both those authors, James and Jude, were brothers of Jesus, half-brothers technically, Mary's sons. So Jesus' impact on his family continued. And, and we get all the blessings. We get the teachings in our Bible. So the final principle that we can learn about the family comes from Jesus' own model. Jesus sought to unite his earthly family and his faith family. And we should too. Jesus understood there doesn't have to be a difference between our faith family, our our church family, and our earthly family. And because Jesus knew how to arrange his priorities, he was able to unite his family with all the other people who had put their faith in him. He united them all. And we should try to do that too. That's the third principle. As we understand the relationship that we're supposed to have with our family, we need to lean on these three principles. What Jesus teaches us, how it plays out in the church, and and what Jesus models for us. We put Jesus first, family second. No conditions on that. And in these priorities, we we honor our faith family and our earthly family. And we honor them in an effort to unite our earthly family with the family of God. We pray with me? God, when we think about families, it's uh, such an emotional, complicated set of relationships, some positive and some joy-filled and some just the opposite. And uh, there's so much more we could even say about families, and yet we are uh, pleased to look at the model of uh, your own son, the son you sent to uh, Give us a place in your family, and as we look at his model, as we look at what the the New Testament teaches us, Lord, help us to be people who prioritize uh, our lives the way that you desire, putting our relationship with you above everything. And yet in that, uh, not looking to our own interests, but looking to the interests of others, being willing to honor our earthly family, even in challenging ways, even if it means sacrificing for them, Lord, we want to be able to honor them because we know that's the way that people can see uh, what it means to follow Jesus and see what it means to have a life of repentance and obedience to you. And we want to be able to model that for them so that we can bring them uh, into a relationship with you as well. We pray, I pray especially for people who uh, have their family priorities a little out of whack, whether it's uh, uh, over-investing in the family or under-investing in the family, distancing themselves. Lord, I pray that these words from you would be challenging to those people, that we would uh, uh, all leave here knowing uh, what it means to to prioritize our, our life with you and how to put that into practice in our own lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.